Hello everyone and welcome to the September 15th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Eric Law, an attorney with Floyd, Scarron and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. In what many fear may become a workers' compensation national trend, if not an avalanche, the New Mexico Court of Appeals ruled that a medical marijuana doctor recommended for an injured worker's pain, pain must be paid for by the worker's employer and insurer. This ruling was to, despite the drug's federal classification as a controlled substance. The court found that New Mexico law entitled Gregory Villapando to reimbursement for marijuana to treat the pain that followed failed spinal surgeries for a workplace back injury. The ruling says that Villapando met the threshold for payments under New Mexico laws when his doctor recommended medical marijuana as reasonable and necessary for his treatment. The August 29 decision supports a lower court finding that Villalpando's participation in the New Mexico Department of Health's medical cannabis program constituted reasonable and necessary medical care. His doctor said that Villalpando was taking narcotic-based pain relievers, but still suffered from some of the most extreme pain he had seen out of thousands of patients. The New Mexico Court of Appeals rejected an argument from Villalpando's employer that reasonable and necessary medical services must come from a health care provider. But the court concluded that a worker's treatment may well require services that are not available from a health care provider. Most obvious of such services may be medical supplies or equipment. Ben's insurer also argued that medical marijuana must be Treat, must be treated as a prescription drug and that the state's medical marijuana program is not a licensed pharmacist or health care provider. The appeals court found that medical marijuana is not a prescription drug, but if it were, the analysis would lead to the same conclusion. Instead of a written order from a health care provider, it requires the functional equivalent of a prescription certification to the program. Although it is not dispensed by a licensed pharmacist or healthcare provider, it is dispensed by a licensed producer through a program authorized by the Department of Health. Villalpando's employer and insurer also said the court, ordered would, the court order would force them to commit a federal crime, since federal law classifies the drug as a Schedule I controlled substance. But the appeals court rejected that noting that the Department of Justice has recently offered at least equivocal statements about state laws allowing marijuana use for medical, medical and even recreational purposes. And now our fraud report. Medical identity theft has become one of the fastest growing healthcare fraud problems in the nation. Some uninsured patients have been found to use false identification simply to secure free medical care. In a more serious situation, a prosecution in Monterey County shows how identity theft can be used in an emergency room to obtain a free supply of illegal pain medication. 22-year-old Julian Dimitri Rosario was sentenced for insurance fraud and unlawful use of personal identifying information. On four different dates, in July 2004, 
Rosario went to Chomp's emergency room complaining of abdominal pain. Each time he was seeking narcotics. He informed personnel of his true name one time, a variation of his name another time, and two other individuals' names the other two times. On the last date, another emergency room doctor recognized him and that he was using a false identity and insurance. Chomp personnel contacted Monterey police who responded, interviewed Rosario, and then arrested him. Not surprisingly, he had been contacted by police regarding similar allegations on a previous occasion. During the two contacts, he gave inconsistent versions of who he was, his age, and why he was at the hospital. He was placed on five years of felony probation, ordered to serve 200 days in custody, be subject to search and seizure, and pay victim restitution of approximately $50,000. The lesson here is to be more vigilant in workers' compensation claim processing. It is important to make sure that medical services were actually delivered to the insured worker, especially when pain medication is involved. A Pacoima insurance broker, 53-year-old Isidro Santillan, was arrested and charged with 13 counts of grand theft and 3 counts of commercial burglary. Santian allegedly stole more than $100,000 by selling insurance policies and bonds to licensed contractors and not forwarding the premium to insurance companies. If convicted, Santian faces up to 12 years in state prison. Investigators allege Santian, a.k.a. Art Sanchez, issued premium checks that did not require the payer's signature, and then instead of sending these premiums to his client's insurers, he cashed the checks for his own personal use. Santian attempted to cover up the, his, his theft by providing both falsified and legitimate certificates of insurance and premium finance agreements. In some instances, he allegedly made partial premium payments, but the policies were later canceled by insurers due to lack of full payment. The Department of Insurance launched an investigation after receiving complaints about Santian the Department of Insurance is looking for additional victims in this case and encourages anyone that may have done business with Sid Santillan, Art Sanchez, Insurance Service Center, or Isidro Santillan Insurance Services to contact the Investigation Division, Valencia Regional Office. Some clinical laboratories have collected hundreds of millions of dollars from Medicare while using a strategy that is now under regulatory scrutiny. They paid doctors who sent patients blood for testing a fee for drawing the blood to be tested. For some physician practices, payments totaled several thousand dollars a week. The practice is now under regulatory scrutiny as a potential kickback, which would be unlawful under federal law. At the heart of the current controversy is Health Diagnostic Laboratory, or HDL, a company that transformed itself from a startup in 2008 into a major lab with hundreds of millions of dollars in annual revenues. HDL paid $20 per blood sample to doctors ordering its tests, which was more than other labs paid. Other labs under investigation include Quest's Berkeley Heart Lab, Singulets Inc., Boston Heart Diagnostics Corp., and Athrotech Diagnostics Lab. 
HDL, Singulex, Boston, and Atherotech say they stopped payments after a special fraud alert from the Department of Health and Human Services warned that such remittances represented a substantial risk of fraud and abuse under the anti-kickback statute. The fraud alert was part of an investigation by federal agencies. This was one of a number of gui guidance documents and advisory opinions on these arrangements. Government officials have repeatedly emphasized that providing free or below market goods or services to a physician who is a source of referrals or paying such a physician more than fair market value for his or her services could constitute illegal remuneration under the anti-kickback statute. It seems clear that the workers' compensation community should also scrutinize the financial relationships between treating or evaluating physicians and the clinical laboratories they use. Questionable financial payments seem to be a widespread practice. The California underground economy of unlicensed contractors seems unrelenting in the state's battle to, re to require licensure and insurance, and an uninsured seaside contractor has been convicted now for a second time. 41-year-old Jose Valdez of Seaside pled guilty to one felony count of fraudulent use of a contractor's license and one misdemeanor count of failing to secure workers' compensation insurance. Valdez was doing business as Angel Valdez Landscaping. He will be sentenced on November 4th. Valdez was also found in violation of probation of a 2010 case involving similar conduct. A contractor state license board investigator discovered Valdez had employees working on a landscape remodel at a small condominium association in Seaside. Valdez had information that association, or Valdez had informed that he was a licensed contractor having been in business for 20 years. The project had been in the planning stage for several years and the association had gone through a bidding process ultimately accepting his bid. The investigator recognized Valdez from his prior case in 2010. Valdez admitted he did not have a contractor's license and also admitted to having employees but did not have workers' compensation insurance. Fraudulent use of a contractor's license has a penalty of up to three years in state prison and a fine of up to $10,000. Failure to secure, to secure workers' compensation insurance has a penalty of up to one year in jail and up to double the amount of the premium owed as a fine payable to the California State Treasury for the Uninsured Employers Fund. And now our medical report. Surgeries for industrial claims that require medical implants are very costly, but few patients are aware of who manufactured the implant, why the one they received was chosen, or what of several implant devices would have been the best choice? Neither in the, is this analysis routinely performed by claims or utilization review. One would think that choice of product might make a difference in treatment outcome. But a new study published in the British Medical Journal says that several new and widely used hip and knee implants appear to have no benefits compared with older, more established products. Furthermore, the safety of several new technologies could be compromised. 
The introduction of new joint implants has been the focus of major scientific and policy discussions after recent failures of some metal-on-metal metal hip implants were brought to life, light. The researchers call for improved stakeholder oversight to prevent patients from being further exposed to new devices without proper evidence of improved clinical benefits and safety. Working with the FDA, researchers reviewed the evidence for five recently introduced and widely used implantable devices for total joint replacement surgery. Data from over 15,000 implants in more than 13,000 patients and data from national joint registries were used to compare safety and effectiveness. None of the five device innovations was found to improve functional or patient-reported outcomes. Comparative data with well-established alternative devices also did not show improved device survival. And researchers also found higher rates of repeat surgery associated with three of the new devices used in both hip and knee replacement surgery. This indicates that new technologies are being introduced to this commercial market without sufficient high-quality evidence for improved benefit over existing well-proven and safe alternative implant solutions. Researchers concluded that there is inadequate regulatory oversight in Europe, the U.S., and other countries regarding incremental device innovations. Researchers report that cells taken from the nasal septum are able to adapt to the environment of the knee joint and can thus repair articular cartilage defects. The nasal cartilage cell's ability to self-renew and adapt to the joint environment is associated with the expression of so-called HOX genes. The journal Science Translational Medicine has published the research results together with the report of the first treated patients. Cartilage lesions in joints often appear in older people as a result of degenerative processes. However, they also regularly affect younger people after injuries and accidents. Such defects are difficult to repair and often require complicated surgery and long rehabilitation times. But now there may be a new treatment option. Nasal cartilage cells can replace cartilage cells in joints. Cartilage cells from the nasal septum have a distinct capacity to generate a new cartilage tissue after their expansion in culture. The researchers have taken small biopsies from the nasal septum from patients and then isolated the cartilage cells. They cultured and multiplied the cells and then applied them to a scaffold in order to engineer a cartilage graft the size of 30 by 10, 40 millimeters. A few weeks later, they removed the damaged cartilage tissue of the patient's knees and replaced it with the engineered and tailor tailored tissue from the nose. The findings have opened up the possibility to investigate an innovative clinical treatment of cartilage damage. The human nasal cell's capacity to grow and form new cartilage is conserved with age. Thus, old people, older people could benefit from this new method, as well as patients with large cartilage defects. The ongoing clinical study needs to confirm the safety and feasibility of cartilage grafts engineered from nasal cells when transplanted into joint. Yet the clinical effectiveness assessed until now is highly promising. And in regulatory news, 
The Department of Industrial Relations has scheduled a Process Safety Management Advisory Committee meeting to review proposed changes to Cal OSHA's PSM standard. The changes focus on strengthening regulatory oversight on California's oil refineries. DIR developed the draft regulatory proposal for a new PSM standard for the refinery sector in response to recommendations in a report by the state's interagency working group on refinery safety. DIR Director Christine Baker said this advisory committee meeting is a pre-regulatory step in ongoing efforts to strengthen oversight of refinery safety in California. The proposed changes will provide a, pr a framework for anticipating, preventing, and responding to refinery safety problems at the earliest possible point. Cal-OSHA is the division of DIR which is leading the revision of PSM workplace safety requirements for refineries. In addition to proposing changes to existing PSM language, the draft proposal introduces new requirements in a number of areas. DIR's notice of the proposed rulemaking along with the text of the proposed regulations have been posted online. The draft proposal is part of an ongoing export effort following the 2012 explosion at Chevron's Richmond oil refinery. The task force headed by the California Environmental Protection Agency was established to carry out the recommendations contained in the February report. In addition to the proposed PSM standard, the state has hired new inspectors to ensure that facilities are complying with health and safety laws. The Pharmacy Board is requesting comments on proposed new drug compounding regulations. The Board has been in the process of rulemaking to more closely regulate compounded drugs that are dispensed in California. Existing state and federal law specifically attempts to limit compounding to limited quantities for an identified patient with unique needs. This limit proposed supposedly differentiates a manufacturer who is subject to FDA scrutiny from a compounding pharmacist who is only scrutinized by individual state pharmacy boards. The state-by-state -state regulatory approach yields inconsistent standards and varying levels of enforcement on, on an industry that ships dangerous drugs across state lines. The Federal Drug Quality and Security Act that became law at the end of 2013 establish federal regulation and oversight of large-scale drug compounding by outsourcing facilities. However, California's law is more restrictive than the federal law in several areas. California requires any pharmacy that is compounding sterile products to possess licensure with the board and comply with California requirements as sterile compounding pharmacies. Additionally, there are compounding professional standards that are used across the nation known as the United States Pharmacopoeia, Pharmacopoeia and the National Formulary. This is essentially a book of public pharmacopoeial standards. It contains standards for chemical and biological drug substances, dosage forms, and compounded preparations, excipients, medical devices, and dietary supplements. The U.S. Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act designates this as the official compendia for drug drugs marketed in the United States. A drug product in the U.S. market must conform to the standards to avoid possible charges of adulteration and misbranding. 
the proposed California regulations make changes to existing law on the topics of a definition of a limited quantity and how the distribution chain can occur from the compounding pharmacist to a dispensing physician. This dispensing physician supposedly has only a limited quantity of compounded medication on hand and thus avoids the definition of an FDA-regulated manufactured product. However, what we see in many com com compensation claims involving liens for compounded medications seems more like manufacturing. Unfortunately, the proposed regulations do not seem to consider the abuse that occurs in the California workers' compensation arena. Perhaps with our, current gu with our guidance, the current version of its regulations could be amended to address these concerns. Our concerns can be addressed within the public comment period. And in other news, York Risk Services announced the acquisition of Sam's & Associates, an independent adjusting company headquartered in Granite Bay, California. York is a national provider of a full range of claims administration, managed care, and risk management and specialized loss adjusting services. The terms of the transaction, which was effective September 2, 2014, were not disclosed. Sam's & Associates provides a wide array of claims adjusting services in 12 western states and private investigative services in California. Don Sam's, founder of Sam's & Associates, will assume the role of president of the York Field Services Division. He will continue to be based in the Granite Bay office. Mr. Sam said his company was pleased to be joining York Risk Services Group and that both companies share a commitment to delivering high-quality claims management. Becoming a part of York allows Sam's to expand the services and expertise it offers. Mr. Sam's added that the acquisition will also provide employees more opportunities to advance. Sam's & Associates was founded in 1990 in Emeryville, California. It has grown to become one of the leading independent adjusting firms in the Western United States. It provides commercial and residential claim adjusting, TPA, contract claim department, and special investigation unit services. York provides risk management and managed care solutions to insurance carriers, self-insureds, brokers, wholesalers, MGAs, programs, risk pools, and public entities. York has more than 4,000 employees and 85 offices throughout the United States. That's all, all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Eric Law, an attorney with Floyd, Scarron and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. And drop by again next week for more news.